Just don't let a good thing die When honey, you know I've never lied to you Gordon the Travel on this day in 1969. Elvis Presley's Suspicious Nine goes to number one in the US. It was a big comeback for Elvis, who hadn't had a number one hit since Good Luck Charm in 62. He had been making a series of unexceptional movies and his music had lost its luster, but this got him off and running, launching a tour in 1970, his first in nine years, and he became a star attraction in Las Vegas. I've got to be honest with you, I can't claim to be uh, a massive Elvis Presley fan, uh, Dean Hoare, but um, I find the man fascinating for some reason. Yeah, uh, um, I think I watched a documentary on him. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to be, maybe there should be a bingo when I say well, I watched a documentary on this. I was, I was halfway through saying that and I realised that how funny it was I was saying that. This, um, we're, we were talking about people who really um, made an impact when they passed away, like mm. Tina Turner, Joe, or David Bowie. I'd love to know what it was like when Elvis Presley died. Well, I'd, when he lo- left, I'd love when he to left know the building. What, Elvis, how, what how Elvis Presley would be perceived now if he hadn't died yes. young. Because yeah. I think dying young is almost part of the mythography that has made him such a well, people figure. people refuse to believe it, right? Like I think that's some how much still. Was, yeah. Um, now, by the way, uh, you were fascinated by the airplane chat, Dean. You mm-hmm. said something off air because I want to um, I want to promo something we're going to be doing tomorrow. You said you find it very sad that you can't do something that you used to ever do. What is it? Yeah, going into the cockpit, like sit in a jump seat and stuff. That while they're flying, they will let you do it. Or, or I don't know if I'm just special. Once you've landed, if you go up not politely as a 42 year old man and ask to look in the cockpit, they will say yes, you can. But um, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's very sad. I, Who's been into the cockpit? I have. I have. I have too. You know, we've all been into the cockpit. The young generation cannot. So tomorrow we are going to be doing a feature. It's at 10 to 5 and it's called Ask the Pilot. You, you know what? I went, on a tra- I went on the trade mission to China recently, which was very cool. Um, one of the cool things, because it was an Air Force plane and I'm being ex-Air Force, they, they let me go... And uh, well, anyone could, but I actually got to go into the cockpit and talk with our amazing uh, Air Force people while we were flying. And it was like, you can't do that anymore normally. Amazing. You're on the panel, RNZ National, it's 4.36. Erin Patterson says she wants to clear the record. I'm devastated. I love them. Revealing she had used mushrooms that she bought from the local supermarket, as well as other dried mushrooms from an Asian grocery store. Erin Patterson, a.k.a. Um, Australia's mushroom cook, has been silent since that statement two months ago today. She was arrested. The mushrooms that she allegedly bought have been linked to the death of three people, including her former in-laws, after they ended up eating a beef wellington. She served for lunch in July. Speculation has been rife, especially since a fourth lunch guest who was in a coma for weeks was discharged from hospital with us as Michael Giles, the publisher of the local newspaper, the Sentinel Times. Sentinel Times. Michael, welcome. Hi, how are you going? Very well. This case has gripped Australia. It's actually gripped the world. What's the latest? Well, you've come across at a pretty key time, um, 
the police have com- uh, concluded their investigations at uh, the suspect's house in Langatha, and she's just arrived here at the Wonthaggy police station only a matter of minutes ago. So have police revealed any more details, uh, Michael, about the arrest? No, we had a, um, uh, there was a conference today with um, Detective Inspector Dean Thomas of the Homicide Squad, and he all he really revealed, well, he revealed that that um, she's that the uh, suspect Aaron Patterson has been arrested, and uh, today they were um, conducting they executed a search warrant at her house in Leangatha, and they actually had um, AFP technology detection dogs there today uh, to assist with their investigation. Hey, Mike, we've got a panel with us. They might jump in with a question or a, a comment. Dean, you've been following this. Uh, I mean, I followed it originally, but I haven't been following the latest of it. Do, do we know the very specific details? Uh, you know, because it always varies according to jurisdiction what she's actually been charged with in terms of, say, the distinction between, say, murder or you know, manslaughter and that kind of stuff. Okay, so we probably need to be clear about this. She's been arrested, but no charge. Got it. Yeah, no, and I've given no indication beyond that. Yeah. No, and, and uh, Detective Inspector uh, Thomas said that he, the, the um, investigation really has been plagued by uh, um, sort of speculation. I'm, I'm obviously mm. human nature, but yeah, um, yeah they, he, he issued a warning about that today. But he did promise to keep uh, the community updated today. Uh, it appears that, and here's me speculating, but it appears that there are going to be further developments today. So they have to charge within a certain period of time, right, once you've been arrested? So, oh look! It can be a number of days. We had a, a recent sort of highly, um, you know, highly publicised case in Victoria here a couple of years ago, and and they didn't uh, charge that person for three days. So right. it depends uh, what they're getting. I think, Michael, this is a small community. How is the community handling this? You know, three people dead. So much public attention. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. Look, it's just a, just an absolute tragedy. The the three people, the four people uh, who were uh, the victims of this are, you know, hugely loved within their own community. Uh, one of the guys, um, Don Patterson, was a was a absolutely brilliant uh, math science teacher at the at the Carrumbar, uh Secondary College, and I mean, these are people who've contributed over many years. So. But that's the overwhelming thing is, and particularly within the Carrumbarra community, is just an absolute tragedy. But, but yeah, look, I mean, we're just a small, you know, dairy farming town. Leangatha's probably one of the main dairy farming towns in Australia, I guess. Carrumbarra's a small, um, you know, probably coal, old coal mining town, but just a, just a fringe, Melbourne fringe type uh, settlement. But yeah, look, you know, no, it's, it's shattering, really. I guess finally, uh, Michael, and thank you for being with us here in, on the panel RNZ, what do you think it is about this uh, mushroom case that has uh, enormously fascinated uh, people? Well, I mean, unfortunately, it's got everything. It's got intrigue. It's got, you know, family connections. I mean, people have tried to paint the religious aspect of it as as, a, as an issue as well. So, you know, there's there's many, many issues involved with it. I mean, just the whole thing of well, I think, you know, the mushroom poisoning and all that kind of stuff, I think it really just tweaks the imagination. And as you say, it's gone worldwide. All right, Michael, thanks for your time. I do appreciate it. That's Michael Giles, publisher of the local newspaper there, the Sentinel Times, uh, on the case that really has uh, uh, gripped, uh, gripped gripped the world, really. Uh, for example, someone has just said, I need a podcast about the Australian mushroom murders uh, immediately.
I don't know. I mean, have you been following it? Oh, yeah, I have. I think it's a very sad story. And um, funnily enough, I got asked, a New Zealand gardener signed by the media company Stuff, and I got asked today if I would do an explainer video of how to tell if a mushroom is edible or not. And I said I absolutely wouldn't because I think that idea that you can Mm. learn that quickly is just a falsehood that people, you know, at no point should you be looking for some random person on the internet to tell you whether you should eat a mushroom or a berry. A lot of the gardening groups I'm part of online, they specifically forbid the identification of fungi or berries because it is such an exact science. Um, So I I, I don't know the particulars of the case um, out of Australia, but I would say, um, you know, real information is what you need in that instance, not something you picked up No, exactly. And I guess uh, what many people want are the fundamentals. For example, where do the mushrooms come from? (laughs) Spores. Can, can, Can it be that hard to find out where they came from? When the fungal... Where those Fruiting mushrooms came the from? Particular, oh, the particular the, the, one. In, in this case. Well, in the, for, for the beef wellington. It'll be gene sequencing, I'd say. That'll be what, what they'll do. They'll, they'll try and get a sample of it and, and look at its DNA, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, uh, that'll probably be on the podcast, or, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, I, I think um, I think I there's think still bitterness are, here about the seats issue. I thought you, you, know, were, you, wanna, like, thought you were interested in like how mushrooms occur. No, no, and I was like, that's I, a big topic. I don't, you know, I know that you're the editor of Enzo Gardner, <laughs> but I don't want to go that deep dived. <laughs> Gosh, thank you, Joe. Um, now, uh, for, for for someone's angry. For God's sake, Wallace, it's the flight deck, not cockpit, unless you're from the seventies. I didn't know that. Um, Asked the pilot, I lost a four-year-old I was nannying on a flight to Bali. After 30 minutes of frantic searching with the crew, checking under the seats in lockers and toilets, the child reappeared and announced, I'd been up the front flying the plane. (laughs) (laughs) They had evidently knocked on the cockpit door and told the pilot they had come to fly the plane. And the pilot said yes. There was a Russian aircraft that flash, uh, crashed and the um, it was the pilot's son, I think, or um, something who'd been at the controls. Can and, you imagine yeah. if you were getting off a plane and the door opened and a four-year-old <laughs> got it? <came> up? <laughs> <laughs> Have we come to this? We, is that what we're missing in life? Because it really changed after September 11, didn't it? It was it really after that. Yep. And then the whole... What is it? Flight deck, not cockpit, um, was sealed off. But are we missing part of a what we a special child love of getting in there and having a go at flying or adult? Or yeah, adult. definitely. I'd I think still we... be in the jump seat if it was possible. It's amazing, especially while the plane is flying. Yeah, uh, it is fifteen to five. The panel uh, NZ National now. By the way, where we are getting a big run on people telling us what they think about their regional health system. I'd like that conversation to continue. Why don't you keep emailing me at the panel at rnz.co.nz and tell me, if you live in a regional centre, a town, what's the health system like there? What sort of care are you getting? It's very interesting. Very interesting stuff that's coming through. But to this, people are likely to donate more to charity when they do not have to wait too long to receive a rebate on their donation. This from the Journal uh, of Behavioural and Experimental Economics. The study looked at if the timing of rebates has any effect on charitable donations. In Aotearoa, 
donations of more than $5 or more to registered charities qualify for a tax rebate of 33%. Many charities are cash-strapped right now, and yet they often provide a really essential role. Could this research have positive implications for charities in New Zealand? With us, Professor Stephen Knowles from the Department of Economics at Otago University. He was a co-author to this interesting study. Professor Knowles, welcome. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So let me get this straight. People will donate more money if they receive a rebate immediately. Can you explain this a bit? Yeah, sure. So look, this is uh, research I did with my colleagues Ronald Pieces and David Fielding at the University of Otago. And we uh, used what's called a lab experiment to test this proposition. So we got participants to come into a computer lab and got them all to divide $20 between themselves and charity uh, under a few different conditions. So with some of the decisions they made, there was no rebate. With others, there was a rebate that they got immediately. And with others, there was a rebate that they had to wait um, a few weeks to get. And we found not only did uh, having a rebate increase donations, and we're not the first people to find that, that's reasonably well established in the literature, but the novelty of what we did was finding that when people get the rebate instantaneously, then donations were higher than when they had to wait. Uh, And I guess why that's interesting is in New Zealand, some employers um, have signed up Uh, for um, payroll giving. And under payroll giving, uh, you instruct your employer to take the donation out of your pay every fortnight or every month, and you get the rebate instantaneously rather than having to wait for it in that context. So our results would show that hopefully payroll giving is increasing um, the amount of money that people donate to charity. Well, that's very interesting because I had never heard of this notion of payroll giving um, and I thought well maybe Joe McCarroll that could be one way I give because I tend to sort of be a bit tired you put it in the back of your mind when it comes to giving sometimes but if it came out of your payroll uh, a little percentage that's um, if you can afford it that is if Joe. you can afford it yeah. and if there's something you want to make that consistent commitment to 100% but I tend um, to give to charity more emotionally um, Stephen, and I wondered, I mean, so, you know, something will happen and I'll think, oh, I want to make a contribution to that. You know, I'm responding to it. Yep. And so and I wonder the- I wonder if, you know, I, I'm not making those decisions based on sort of a sound fiscal taxation position. Um, yeah. Would it really and make your- a difference out of the lab? <laughs> So you're like most other people, right? So there's lots of research, including some I've been involved in before, that shows that most people's decisions about who to donate to, which charities to donate to, and how much is guided more by emotion, like you mentioned, than you know, cold, hard, calculated, rational decisions that they make. So, so that's certainly true. But not everybody thinks that way. There are you know, some people for whom you know, they like to you know, do their research, find out what the best charities are to give to and aren't guided so much by their emotions. 
Uh, I know with my charitable donations, I almost never make them public because I feel it's a bit like posting a photo on Facebook. I, I feel like that changes my motivation. I um, but yep. I, don't, I don't know if that's just me. I, I did want to say I think it's so awesome that you did this research, and it's why it's so important that we have universities in New Zealand that have the funding and ability to do this kind of. I don't know whether you could call this pure science, but I love that idea. My my um, brother used to uh, you know ex exotago, but did uh, virology, and so it was always yeah. really hard getting funding for for right. study. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen, um, one would say. What does this say about our behaviourism? What does it say about us? We don't give to help. We give to get a rebate. Well, that's a really interesting question. And um, Ronald Peters and I, with a couple of colleagues from overseas, have done some research on this too um, that shows that people do tend to think of you know, maybe giving to get a rebate isn't quite as altruistic as it might be if there wasn't a rebate. Um, so there are some people who do think that way, that you know, perhaps if you're giving with the expectation of getting a rebate, that somehow takes away the warm glow that you might get from giving the money yeah. in the first place. But again, people are different, right? That doesn't apply to everybody. And, and you know, we, we know that in general, uh, rebates do tend to increase charitable donations. But typically... Um, a rebate will increase donations by not enough to pay for it. But to give an example, imagine if there's no rebate, you give $10. Yes. Then, then a rebate's introduced where you get a third of your money back. So you give $12. So in one sense, you're giving more, but actually once you've got that $4 rebate back, you're only giving $8. That's mm -hmm. less than the 10 oh, okay. you would have given. So, so that's what I mean by saying rebates typically don't pay for themselves. They do, they do increase donations, but not by as much mm -hmm. as the amount of the rebate. Better response here on this, actually. I like the compulsory saving of getting my donations rebate at the end of a financial year. It's always a rebate of several hundred dollars, a nice bonus for me, and nice knowing where it comes from and that it'll be higher the more I give. Stephen, kia ora. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Oh, it's been great chatting. Thank you for having me on the show. Professor Stephen Knowles there from uh, the Department of Economics at Otago uh, University. And by the way, yes, we are going to be doing Ask the Pilot tomorrow. If you have a question for me, for a pilot, a, a, a bona fide pilot, email me, thepanel at rnz.co.nz. Here's one for you. Wallace, I've always been a nervous flyer, and on one trip between LA and London, prior to 9-11, of course, a concerned flight attendant took me up to the flight deck where the captain explained everything to me and then, wait for it, played his guitar to me. <laughs> and we had a flight deck sing-along for over an hour. <laughs> My family thought I'd disappeared for good, and we were about to send out a search party. Like oh. I, I fly a lot, and I kind of like the Dunedin um, thing. You get to know the staff. I really like the staff of in, in New Zealand. You know, they're LA flight as well. You get to know them, and they're awesome. Oh, well, but well. it is. I'm really sad you can't get into the cockpit. Uh, here's a question you should ask your bona fide pilot. Yeah. Um, are they sad that they can't bring up, um, or was it just an annoyance? Do they like seeing a 42 year old grown man be excited to come up? <laughs> Want to try the, the hat on for the? <laughs> For the thirtieth time, you know, I, I have never, hat? I've never asked for the hat. Can like, I try, the hat? try the hat on? You know, I want to know. I want to know. All right, so. you with the panel, Dean Hall. <laughs> Sorry, I can just picture you doing that too. Anyway, close your eyes 
And now picture this. Semi-nude men and women amongst the haystacks. Out on the farm, hay everywhere, semi-nude, drenched guns in hand. Straddling the hay bales, the big tractor. Have no fear. It's the barely there nude calendar for a great cause. This year, a long-standing tradition at Massey University has been revived. With the class of 2025 bearing it all, or almost, in the name of charity. With us is Maddie Craig, third-year vet st- veterinary student and calendar committee member. Maddie, kia ora. Hi, how are you going? Oh, it's nice to have you on. I've seen the calendar. It looks fantastic. <laughs> so nude calendars, they're still a thing. Yes, they definitely are. <laughs> What's the history behind this tradition for you? Um, so the calendar, the Billy Bear calendar, started back in 2005. Um, and it's kind of grown since then. It's become really, really well known in the vet industry and in the rural community. Um, yeah, it's just something that we've been building and building on. It did stop for a couple of years, but this year we've brought it back. Joe And Maddie, it's a charity fundraiser, isn't it? What, what charity are you guys supporting? Yes, so we use the calendar as a fundraiser for our class and um, for a chosen charity. So this year our charity is Whatever with Wiggy. Um, so he works in mental health and wellness for rural communities. It's a very good initiative, uh, Maddie. It really is. Dean, what do you, what do you make of this? Is uh, this something that you would buy to put on your, uh, uh, your office wall? I'd buy a support or yeah. maybe just even go direct to the charity. Maybe not quite uh, off my office material, though it was very tasteful, I would say. I think it was really well um, a chosen charity because, you know, just reading the article, it talked about, uh, you know, the confidence required. Yeah. And I think it said, you know, there was a few people who were pretty confident and got other people to come in. And I feel like that does that, that goes really well with the, um, with the charity that was chosen as well around, you know, mm-hmm. confidence to talk and being yourself and that. Yeah, yeah so it was really in cool. In terms of the actual photo shoot, because I really want to know, what was, what was it like? Are people shy? I'd be shy. You know, if, if, if I had a photographer there and I – and the photographer told me to get on the hay bale. Uh, I, I just feel shy. How 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 was the vibe? Um, so we had a couple of different photo shoots. There were different ones for each month, and that was a little bit more comfortable for me personally because it was my close friends and we knew the photographer really well. But it was a little bit different going and doing the big class shots because yeah. you're with people that you you're friendly with and you see every day, but you wouldn't necessarily get naked with them every day. <laughs> So it was really, um, it was really like quite a nervous energy on a the real day. Real step up, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but it it just took a couple of people to kind of relax and um, yeah, and just <laughs> get the ball rolling. I guess. I think it's really awesome, Maddie. I think it's really great that you guys have made yourself vulnerable in this way to support something meaningful. And I would say as someone who's in my 40s now, I wish I'd taken more nude photos when I was younger, really tasteful <laughs> ones, but now's the time to do it. Never too late to start, Joe. <laughs> Never too late to start. Uh, does this mean there's going to be an RNZ um, nude, uh, almost nude calendar? Well, let's put it out to the listeners. Would our listeners <laughs> like a semi-nude panel calendar? And what month would you want to be, Wallace? <laughs> well, I'd be January, an Aquarium. <laughs> Okay, okay. Who, who wants it? 2101. With, with strategically we, placed microphones. Very. T- <laughs> <laughs> Maddie, you don't have to buy one, but uh, I'm going to buy one of yours. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic initiative. Awesome. Yeah. That's a uh, third year of our student and calendar committee member. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, it's silence from the listeners. <laughs> 
<laughs> you haven't given Dean. it long enough. You know, they're probably just getting over the shock. Don't sell people it's... something yeah, that they don't exactly. want. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. They're true. Wow, this is harsh. I feel like this is left over from the seat issue. Well, we've got one yes. So that's that. There you go. That's just yes. Ask. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, 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 one person would like a semen. That was a bit quick, actually. <laughs> that's a bit suspicious. <laughs> um, and what is that to go out? Well, that's a lovely piece of business advice. Oh, I, I think it's, I think it's quite valuable, actually. Yep. Don't sell something that people uh, um, don't want, but they actually need. So you really need to and make sure they understand that first. I think there's a lesson there for the RNZ calendar. <laughs> Do you think <laughs> the RNZ barely their calendar? <laughs> Put the microphone down, Wallace. Hang on. The um, the producer's got sits up in my ear. Oh, well, I have pulled over the car to say yes. I'm putting an order for three, says Suzanne. I think I'd pay money to not see you see me naked, Wallace. Unreal. Um, yes, no, thank you. They're all coming in now. Wonderful stuff, Dean. <laughs> Joe McCarroll. See you later. I'm Wallace Chapman. I'll see you tomorrow for Power Battle Friday, 3.45. It is Lisa Owen and Checkpoint.